Lord, we just thank for this opportunity to come before you and to, to look at the book of Revelation and to see what you'd have us to see from that. We ask that you guide and lead us as we as we study this. And thank you for each person that's here in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 7. Now, last week we covered the six seals that were broken. We talked about a quarter of the population of the world being destroyed. We ended with a sixth seal with a great earthquake that shakes the shakes every mountain and island, which are technically mountains. <laughs> and uh, we, we see that the sun was blackened, the moon was turned to red, the stars fell from the sky. We talked about how quite likely that would be, could have been as a result of volcanic activity, which is associated with great tectonic uh, activity. And we're going to get ready to look into chapter 7 here. Starting at verse 1, And after these things I saw the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having a seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on, in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephetelm were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were served 12,000, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all the nations, kindreds, and people, tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and upon the Lamb, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and around and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence come they? And I said unto them, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they which come out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and sit on the throne and he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall hunger no more neither thirst no any more neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into unto living fountains of water and God shall wipe away the tears of their eyes all right I'm going to just say right now that I believe this is uh, the place where the uh, rapture takes place because we see a transition here of all the people being gathered, but we'll explain that when we get, get to there. All right, so we see all these bad things that have happened on, you know, from the six seals. And then it says, he saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the, of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. Now, wind here is not just breeze or wind. This is literally wind that causes 
uh, tumults and, and problems. This is not just your everyday, everyday wind. This is like your hurricane force winds. So they're holding back those winds. Uh, and this is kind of in, important. There's this moment of protection from when the seals are broken. And remember what I said last week, the seals are not part of the tribulation. All right, I do not believe that, that the seals are part of the tribulation. I believe that they are basically man on man for the most part until the very end to show some of God doing it. But the seals are the problems that come up to the moment of the tribulation gets ready to start. And this is, and because I believe seven marks the, the rapture, and then we have the judgments of God come upon the world. So this is, this is what I believe. Now, if you want to, the, and remember last week I told you, most of the scholars believe that seals are part of the judgment of the tribulation. I've never believed that. <laughs> I still don't believe it. I've met, I read scholars that do agree with where I've stood. And so I do have other scholars that agree with me. And you're free to believe the seals are part of the judgment, judgments if you want, but I don't. What are the seals? The seals are when Jesus takes the, the scroll that, is, that was sealed, which is the title deed. And remember we talked about the, the scroll being sealed so many times as a legal, Roman legal document. And the seals were broken by the one who has permission to open the document. Usually it's a will or a title deed. And so the seals were Jesus opening the seals and saying, you know, these, this is the world. There are people who go even further than I do, and they believe that the seals represent ages. And I don't, I don't go that far. I, I see how they can come up with that thought pattern. I just don't, I don't buy it. It's that spiritualizing it way too much, you know, way too much. And as I said at the very beginning of the Revelation study, I, the way I was taught to read the scriptures is it's literal if it can be literal. Okay. Uh, if it makes sense to take it literal, then you just take it literally and you don't try to add a whole bunch of spiritualization to it. Because once you spiritualize God's word, you can make God's word say anything you want and, and do anything you want with it and make it, make it become a very bizarre book. But if it can be literal, you take it literal unless it's very, very obvious that it is a poetic or a, or a picture. So the seals is not the rapture. I, is not part of the tribulation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah, tribulation. And other scholars, not just not just me, but there are other scholars. The more I've studied it, the more I've found scholars that have agreed with me that it is not part of the tribulation. And again, if somebody wants to really stand up and say this is the tribulation and it's part of the tribulation, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them. It's, I just don't see that it can be. It doesn't doesn't have the feel of the tribulation, which we'll get into in the eight eight and on. And it says, so we've got the angels; they're they're holding back the troubles. Okay, and it talks about the four corners, and you know, don't get the picture that God's saying that there's. This is one of those places where it's not not literal. You know, we still use the four corner you know four corners of the world. You know, when we talk about north, south, east, and west, the cardinal points of the compass. You know, we still use the term the four corners of the world, you know, and we know that the world is round and, okay, so, you know, don't get into this because people have looked at this, see, the Bible says the world is flat and has corners, no, it just, it's using a, a language that we still to this day use uh, when, we, when we talk about the, the whole of the earth, the, the four corners of the earth type deal, and we're, we're just saying the whole of the earth is being, being guarded and the angels are holding back holding back judgment for, for just a period. Mm -hmm. 
for just this period. And he saw another angel ascending from the east, and literally in the Greek it says, rising from, uh, from the sun. Uh, so talking about the east, it rises, sun rises. It often talks about that term being used as the glory of God rising up, which is talked about coming from the east. We see that symbology in Psalms quite often, where it talks about God coming from the east. The orientation of the tabernacle and the temple was that the front doors faced the east, okay, where God's glory was symbolized as coming up with the sun. Um, so we look at this and it says, And the angel having the seal of the living God cried with a loud voice to the angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth. Okay, we've talked about a seal. We all realize, I hope, that the seal is that signet ring that is placed into the wax to, to show that it, hasn't been opened. it has not been opened. Right, and we talked about this in other, other places. The seal, the seal of, of, of the wax on it was to indicate a number of things. Number one, it indicated to the receiver that the contents of this have not been altered. Whatever, what I put in there is what is in there. We do the same thing in our day, except we, we, we seal it with, the, with licking the, the glue on the envelope and, and sealing it. And if you really want to prove that it hasn't been, some people will actually sign their name across the seal because it's very hard to, number one, it's hard to open the glue, and then number two, to, to glue it back down and, and get all the lines in, in place can be very difficult. But that's what this seal was designed to do. It's almost like anything, you buy anything new and there's a seal around there's it. There's a seal around it. Yeah. It hasn't been tampered it hasn't been with. Altered. It hasn't been, hasn't been altered. And this is what God, when he talks about sealing us, this is what he's referring to. He has put us into Jesus Christ. Then he seals us with the Holy Spirit so that when he opens us at the, at the end times, it is, okay, you're in my son. He's the envelope. We've been sealed by the Spirit. And I know that you are what we put in there. Without, without being altered. And so the, here we are, he's got the seal, and he says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their, in their forehead. Okay, so the, the servants who are going to be left after, after the rapture have been marked with a seal. And I don't know, this gets you into a whole different thing. Uh, this seal may be spiritual that only the spiritual world sees, uh, it may be a literal seal as opposed to the mark of the beast that's coming. We don't know, and I'm not going to speculate on that. I, I tend to believe that it's a more of a symbolic sealing of them, and it's put before their foreheads. And if you think back, the Jews were told to put God's word on the front of their heads, on the phylacteries that they would wear on their heads. And it literally wasn't supposed to be what they did. They weren't supposed to tie these boxes and say, I'm a God's word there was, God's word was on their mind. It was in their, in their mind. It wasn't a literal, let's put this box in front of you and put the scriptures in front of you. It was to be more of a symbolic, God's word is on your, on your mind. And it's the same thing for us as Christians. His word should be on our mind, being meditated on, being on the forefront of our, our minds. It was put on the wrist, you know, down on the wrist to show that they were working with his word and operating in his word. So here he's sealing them. And again, whether this is a literal marker sealing, proven authenticity, or something seen in the spiritual world, I don't know. I've seen, I've heard both, and it could be both. It seems like it would be like more spiritual, like another Christian would know you have it, but a non-Christian wouldn't see it. 
Just and that could very well be what it is. Yeah. Uh, that those who are, and we still, we have that to this, to a degree even today when, when you go around and you meet somebody who is a Christian, and I mean a, a, a true, a true Bible-believing Christ, Christian with the Holy Spirit in them, the Holy Spirit in you will resonate with that person. Now that doesn't mean that anybody you don't no. resonate with is not a Christian, but you know I've seen this happen more than one case. Where, you know, and I've shared this. I go to business meetings and I would just be bored because I didn't want to be with all the people from my group that were drinking and carrying on. I go, God, I need some Christians before long. I would find Christians, and not because we said, Hey, we're Christians, yeah, come yeah, on over yeah. here, but because I start it's talking true, yeah. to them and the Spirit would say, Here's here's your person you can hang out with. They're a Christian and. And I believe that's going to be part of this, other than it may be more of a literal, oh, yeah, you've got, the, yeah. See, <laughs> you've every, got this yeah, mark. Ever since I've really been focusing and coming to church more and reading the Bible and really, I have people now that will talk to me that never really talked to me more about Christian stuff or how I believe, I really believe that I pray that they see the Holy Spirit in mm -hmm. me. And I want them to, you know, and... It really, it's really neat because I'm meeting these people that I never really would have met right. before. And they're talking to me like now they're not afraid to talk to me. And that is true. The closer we are with God, the more of his spirit that's in us, the more we're going to see the spirit in others, and the more they're going to see it in us. And, and you're going to respond to that. And I always want to act. I always pray. I want to act and talk and walk and let the light of God shine around me so they'll see me that I'm a child of God. And I want to... Mm -hmm. I have to act it, and I know it's hard to a lot of times. And it puts you in an interesting place. Once yeah. people know you're a Christian, yeah, they start yeah. looking at you very yeah. differently. And if you say you're a Christian and you don't live like a Christian, you're you're bringing shame to God's name. And this is a this is a place where we need to be careful how we talk about you know God to people because they're going to start looking at us and say, "Do you represent?" God and everybody has an expectation about how what Christians are supposed to be, and the world has an expectation that's way too high, and a lot of Christians have an expectation that's way too low. You need to be somewhere in the center between this because most of the world think we're going to be perfect, you know, and that's not going to happen. We're not going to be perfect, and but because we believe we can't be perfect, we a lot of times Christians have this really low view of how other Christians, and you know, we, there needs to be some place in the center where they meet, where we do have failures, we do have problems. But yet we live a life that people look at and say that person's different. Because I want to, because I'm learning and I just want to learn, and I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, which everybody will. But I'm so happy now that I'm learning and I'm in the whole new, a whole new group, and I love it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm a slow bloomer, but <laughs> hey, I'm not letting go of it now. <laughs> yep, I don't want to let go of it. Verse 4, and I heard the number of them that were sealed. They were 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And I'm going to stop there because I'm not going to read all the names of the tribes again, but 12,000 from each of the tribes that are listed. And we'll talk in a moment about the two that are missing. <laughs> but this is important for us because there's groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that this is all spiritual, that these aren't really truly Jews. They are... Followers, or followers of Jehovah and 144,000 of the best of the best will be sealed. That's not what this verse says. <laughs> there are groups that, you know, that believe that the Jews have been cast aside and therefore this has to be Christians. There are certain Christian groups that will teach that. No, that says that there are 144,000 of the children of Israel and goes on to be very specific that it's 12,000 from 
each tribe. tribe. Yeah. Okay, so this is very literally Israelites, Jewish people that are going to be marked and sealed as followers of Jesus and, and will be the ones that witness during the tribulation period. So it's very clear that if you look at this list, the two tribes that aren't listed are yeah. Dan and Ephraim. Okay, and Dan, the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. Why those two? There's a lot of speculation. Uh, Dan and Ephraim were in trouble quite often <laughs> in the scripture. Uh, e P H R A. I am. I am something like that. Okay, well, at least I got it close. I wasn't even close. Yeah. Uh, Dan. Uh, Ephraim was right in the center of all the idolatry worship when the, when the two nations split. Uh, Dan was in trouble quite often in, in the book of Judges, so it could be that they were just tribes that were in trouble a lot. But I don't know. I have not been able to figure out why. I've seen all the different speculations. People will look at Amos 8, Hosea 7, Judges uh, 17 and 18 to tell you these tribes were in trouble but every tribe was in trouble at some point at some point during their time so it's I, I have trouble buying into those you know real strong ones uh, and it's funny that Joseph is listed and Manasseh is listed he still has two he still has a double portion even in the millennial yeah. even in the tribulation and period Levi's in there where he Levi's and Levi was added and normally they are dropped right. because they don't own anything in there they're not and so this is, you can look at the various lists. Uh, in the very beginning, it lists, lists Joseph and Levi with his ten brothers. Then later on, as the tribes were getting ready to move into the country, Levi is taken out because the, God says they belong to me. And Joseph gets that double portion because Jacob said, you know, your first two sons belong to me. And so, and here we've got Joseph back in the list. Yeah. So it, it is kind of a... It, we don't know why we don't we don't understand that. Mm -hmm. In one sense, Ephraim is still there because they're part of Joseph. Yeah. So the only one missing in that case would be Dan, and that's usually how most people will try to get around it. They go, you know, Ephraim is still there because Joseph's there, but so Dan is the only one missing. <laughs> uh, it is. I don't understand. I don't know, and I don't have an answer for that one. Uh, if you want to look it up, you can get on the internet. There's thousands of pages on why Dan and Ephraim are missing, and none of them really make a lot of sense. I read a bunch of them, so just to see what people said. I've read other books. I've read other commentary. You know, they, they stretch it, and they start. You know, like I say, they'll find all kinds of scriptures to to tell you why they're not there. But I don't, I don't buy most of what I read. So. Why are they not there? God will tell us later on, I guess. <laughs> uh, so we're going to skip down to verse 9. After this I beheld, and, a, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms in their hands. Okay, this is the verse that leads me to believe that this is right after the rapture. Okay, because it's right to start with, it's a description of a great multitude, which no man can number, which means it's God, and that spends for the time that the church has been in existence, and it says that every nation will be represented there. All right, and that's what Jesus said, go into all the world teaching. So this is the church. This is the church. This is who I believe is the church, and we're going to show you why I believe it's the church. Uh, they stood before the throne, 
and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, which white robes in virtually every reference of the Bible refers to the righteousness of Christ and the perfection of the people, and palms in their hands, which are victory, is a sign of victory. Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they put the palm branches, the victory, and the celebration of the king coming in. Uh, when in Roman times, which is where we're at, they, the victors in the Olympic Games were giving, given crowns made out of palm branches. So palm is always this picture of victory. So this is, why I'm, this is why I believe that the rapture is happening here. Again, I'm not going to disagree if somebody wants to say no, absolutely not. I'm not going to sit there and say, again, I am not going to be dogmatic about most of anything in here because it's hard to be dogmatic. This is all in the future. And, we see, and again, I point back to the first coming of Jesus where the Jews were absolutely certain that when the Messiah came, he was going to start the whole, you know, Israel is the, you know, number one and will rule forever. And they did not understand all the suffering and the death and the, and the purchase of the sin. So when we're talking about future events, I can say this is what I think and this is why I think it. And if somebody wants to disagree, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you're wrong and, you know, because I'm not that smart. <laughs> But I do believe that we are at the rapture and that the church is brought in. The end of the sixth seal and before the seventh seal is broken, that the rapture occurs. And there are, again, many that, many that do that. And then you look at what they cry. Salvation to our God, which is the relationship that we have with God, is our God. And, and salvation is deliverance, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Okay, so they're, they're referring to both God and the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. So we're seeing this worship, this worship time, this, this great finishing up. And the angels are there. And we think about that. The angel's job right now is to serve God and protect his children. And they do protect us. The angels are around. Now, I don't know that I believe in guardian angel, you know, that you have a guardian angel with you all the time. But God sends his angels when we need protection. He's going to send angels to protect us. And a great picture of that is when, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha, but they're on the mountain surrounded by an army and the servants all, all, all nervous saying, you know, hey, you know, they're coming to get us. And God says, open, his, you know, open the servant's eyes and let him see that those that are, for, uh, for us are greater than those that are against us. And he opens his eyes and there's angels circling the army. Okay. They needed, they needed an angelic protection and there was <laughs> you know, angelic protection. Least, let alone the fact that one angel in one time killed 183,000 know, soldiers in one night. One angel was plenty, and, but God <laughs> let, the, let, this, this, let the servant see lots of angels so that he'd be comforted. Uh, and I've told, told people the story, my wife driving her van down the street, you know, and the tie rod goes out and she makes three turns, which you can't do with a tie rod without a tie rod. You can't turn a car three different, you know, three separate turns. And we saw where the tie rod dug into the road for three turns. So it's, you know, we know the tie rod was broken and yet she made turns. <laughs> yeah. And she always jokes that she's going to know her, know her angel when she gets to heaven. He'll be the one with all the grease stains all over him <laughs> from protecting her road, you know, but... When we need protection, God will send the angels. Now, whether we have a guardian angel, I'm not, you know, I'm not so sure about, but when we need it, they're there. 
And right now we see them, it says, all the angels stood ar around about the throne and around the elders. So again, it's another very subtle show that the church is now standing before the throne because the angels are there. They're not needed down on the earth because the church is in front of God. And so, again, that's speculative, but it is, it is what I'm going to put it in, is that, in that protection. The description of Christians, all the angels are there before him, showing that they're not here down here protecting us. I believe in, all, I believe in angels very much. Oh, yeah, I definitely believe in angels. Yeah. And, they all, and then it says, everybody falls in front of the oh. Lord to worship. And I love this, their, their blessing. It's, it's four, four, sevenfold blessing of God on this. And they're saying, amen, which is, means verily, or truthfully, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be unto God forever and ever and ever. Blessing, that whole idea of just giving blessing to him, the, the honor, the, the, the loud praise is what it literally means. And then it says to give him glory. And glory is, means to heap upon, to, to heap upon splendor and glory. And, you know, and God has plenty of it, but he's going to take, you know, take more. Wisdom, that's that understanding or applied knowledge. And it's so, so strange how people can have a ton of, ton of knowledge and no wisdom at all. I've seen it over and over. You see it in colleges a lot where professors have a ton of knowledge but no wisdom and not even enough wisdom in their little pinky sometimes to, to apply it. And then thanksgiving, just that thankfulness. And this should mark us as Christians that we're thankful. We're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for all that God does and gives us. And then it says, and honor. Honor is a very interesting word. Honor is the value placed upon something. And how much do we honor God? God, is, I honor him. He's the highest. The highest of everything. And that's where he's supposed to be. But you know, the great thing is, as you walk with God, and you realize that whatever honor you have today, which seems like great honor for him, won't be sufficient later on when you get to know him better and you go, okay, God, you're, man, I, I know you so much more now. And, you know, and it's going to be true of all of his attributes. However powerful you think God is, you, know, you look back down, you go down the road a little ways and you go, man, God is more powerful than I thought. No matter how loving you think he is, you realize he loves you more later on. You know, this value and this honor becomes higher the, more, the closer we draw to him and the more we realize just who he is. And I can tell you, uh, after you know, 44 years of walking with God, I, that's where I'm at. Every time I think I know God, he shows me some other new aspect of him. There's something I already understood, but I didn't understand it deep enough. But like, your honor is really good. Like, mine's at the very bottom because I'm learning, but I'm going up. But you're way, 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 like, another state over, you know, that far. <laughs> but that's been learned. But, but yeah. it has been learned. Yeah. And a year or two from now, what I even think I know about him now will be just... Wow, how, how small my God was then compared to where he is now. And he'll keep getting bigger the, the more we start to get to know him. And I kind of think about it in terms of the child with their parent. And you know, when you're really young, you're, you're, your parents know everything. You know, they're, they're smartest. Then you get to be a young, young ch older child or a young teen or a mid-teen. And, and your parents are slowly getting dumber and dumber and dumber. You know, and don't, don't understand. Then you get to be an adult and all of a sudden your parents start getting smart again. 
I think we do that with God to a degree. When we first get to know him, he's everything. He's so important. Then we start kind of going, okay, I can do this on my own. And we start trying to separate ourselves. And then we start coming back. and Taking for granted. Yeah, we take him for granted. That's a good word. We start taking him for granted because, because he's always done. He's always there. He's, he loves us so much. And then we start realizing how much we've taken him for granted and how, how important he goes. And not all of us go through every stage of that in our spiritual life, but I think there's that, that aspect where we kind of take God for granted a lot of times and kind of think, oh, I can do this, you know, you know I've, got, I've got this, you know, no big deal. <laughs> and so we see this, this honor going toward God, this, this glory for him. And then they go, his power and his might his strength, his power, his innate ability to do things. And unto our God forever and ever, amen. I love this praise. I love this, this statement that they're doing. And then it says, one of the other Lord said to me, who are these people that are arrayed in white robes and whence, whence come they? So he's trying to, and this is where we're going to get a direct expl explanation of who these people are. There's not going to be a question mark in this. And John answers very, very, uh, Correctly, uh, sir, you know. <laughs> you know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. You know who they are. How about you telling me? But I think in this case it was more a fact that he wanted to say, look at these people. Look at this group of people. Because I'm sure that his eyes were not on the group of people per se. His eyes were not on the elders. His eyes were not on the, on the, the beast. His eyes were not on the angels. His eyes were on the throne with God and Jesus. And so the, I think in this case, the, this elder is more specifically saying, uh, I want you to take and turn for a moment and pay attention. Who are these people? Who are these people? And that's when he goes, I, I don't know. You tell me who they are. And it says, these are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want you to note on there that it doesn't say these are they that come out of the great tribulation. There's no the there. Mine is Yours the, is there? The in 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 the in the Greek Bible it does not have a have mine a is the a great tribulation. Great tribulation. Mine's just great tribulation. Yeah, okay. Great. And the reason I bring that up on this is because it's very important. These is not the end of the tribulation period and this and the tribulation saints. These are Christians who have come out of trials and persecutions on earth. And we all go through trials and persecutions to on earth while Satan is trying to test us and, and give us trials. See, I thought it was they, these are the ones taken out of the tribulation. In other words, they missed it. Now that could be true. That could be a good, if you want to say that, that wouldn't be bad because the same, same, same meaning. Okay. Okay. Um, but most people, when they put the the in there, will say the the great tribulation, talking about the seven years, and they're talking about a, a time beyond that. And this is why here I believe we're, again, another showing of the rapture coming in we have been removed we've been taken out of tribulation and trials okay every christian has some form of trials and tribulation in their life some more some less and some actually literally pay with their lives as martyrs to martyrs but here it's we're seeing they've been taken out they've been taken out of this life they've been taken out of the troubles of this life and this is important for us to understand because we all face trials. We all face troubles. We're all going to face the, the working out of our salvation and the exercise of our faith. 
And this is important that we see this because too many people have been taught, especially in the American and, and Western European men mindset, get saved and, all, you know, and everything's going to be okay. Now, what a lie we tell people. And I've heard people tell them on, you know, on street evangelism, you know, that or try Jesus. No, you don't try Jesus. You either turn to him or you don't turn to him. You don't try him. You don't test him. You don't, you don't, and he's not a sugar daddy who's going to make life all good for you. Now, on, having said that, by the same token, everything I go through, I know that he's in charge of, and, he's, he's, and I'm hiding in him, and he's my protector. And life is a whole lot easier because I'm in him, even if I'm going through hard trials. I always say there's yes or no, no in between. So, but it is important for us to understand, when I'm in a trial with God, it's still easy. Even though it can be hard, even though it's harsh, and I don't, you know, I've always said I don't understand how people who don't know Jesus get through anything. And for the most part, they don't. That's why there's so much alcoholism and drug use and, and suicide, because they can't handle the trials of life because they don't have anything to hold on to. Whereas when we're with Christ, we go, okay, you know, we can, we can try to struggle and get beat up by the storm, or we can hide in Christ and walk through the storm with no, no trials, and we look back and say, wow, what a, what a mess back there. But... Here we are, he says, they've been taken out of great tribulation. All the trials and, and headaches of this world, and this is why we as Christians look forward to, hopefully, <laughs> look forward to the day that we will enter into heaven, whether through death or through the rapture. We look forward to that day, not look forward to the point of I'm going to go kill myself so I get there quickly, but we look forward to the day when all the trials of this world are done, all the headaches of this world are done, and we get to stand before the throne of God with Jesus. And believe me, I look forward to that because there's so much that goes on in this world. There's so much that happens that it is great to just look forward and say, all right, thank you, God. I'm going I'm to be with you. And that's what it says in Psalms. You know, God says, precious in, the, in his sight are the deaths of, death of his saints because they get to come home. There's nothing more precious than ending up dying as a follower of God because as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The moment, the moment my body decides to cease operating, I stand before God. I don't, I don't die. The, the body gets un, unanimated by the spirit, but uh, I don't die. I just step from this life right into the presence of God. And that is the, this is where he's at. They've been taken out of the tribulation. They've been taken out of this, this mortal world with all of the pain and the aches and the, and the and the problems and the headaches from other people and the headaches from trials and we step out of that into his presence <laughs> and and it says that they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb and this literally is just saying that they're they've surrendered to God and again here we are the statement that these are Christians these aren't these aren't anybody other than Christians standing there in this great multitude so we have all kinds of little proofs <laughs> one right after the other that we're talking about Christians and this is why I personally believe that this is the picture of the, the rapture from the heavenlies. All of a sudden everybody's standing there. So any comments or questions as we go on? Verse 35, therefore, which is the same type of situation as, as a but or you know, therefore they go, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So this tells you some of what we're going to do in heaven. We will serve God. 
just as much as we do down here, we will serve him. And what that'll mean exactly, I don't know what it'll mean to serve God in, in, in heaven. Uh, there's other places where it indicates that we'll have plenty of free time as well, so, but we'll be serving him. Probably very much the way we do in this world, except here we'll have the direct knowledge, it won't be by faith. We will hear him say, go do this, go do that. Uh, very much like the angels on, as far as that goes. But having said that, remember, we will not become angels. We, won't, we are above angels. Okay? So don't ever think that people become angels. Uh, angels are a totally different class of being. They were created before, uh, before in the spirit world. And whether and they... That is so weird because on earth they're above us, but when we get up there, they're going to be below us, and I can't picture that, you know, because they're, it's just, you know, amazing. Well, if you think about this, you're right. Well, technically they're not above us, but they are but, the one. They yeah. are the direct servants well. of God and our protectors, and they're strong. In the Roman way of ruling, when a when a boy, specifically boy, but girl also was growing up, they were put under the charge of a servant, and the servant had command over that child until they reached maturity, at which time the roles completely reversed, and the and the son was now in charge of the servant, could tell the servant what to do, and the servant could no longer instruct. The, the, the job of the servant was to instruct, to teach, to, to protect. And in one sense, it's very much a picture of what you were just saying. Angels right now are there not so much to instruct us, but to protect yeah. and, to, and to make sure, you know, try to help us go in there. The Word of God is for our instruction. Uh, but it is true that when we get in there, once we enter into the heaven, we're the perfect, then all of a sudden all those roles change because we're part of the bride of Christ. We are now, we're going to be raised to, you know, as about as high as you can go. The only ones higher than us in heaven are going to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be quite a turnaround for us. But it's going to be neat because then I, like, I would like to thank a lot of the angels that have been helping God <laughs> because of protecting me when I was on earth, you know. And in their attitude will probably be we were just doing our job. Yeah. <laughs> we were yeah. just doing what we were told to do. And that is important for us, even for us as Christians, as we're serving God, is I'm just doing what God has asked me to do, and I'm just doing my job, because God doesn't want us to take pride in what he's doing through us. And that becomes the critical thing, because if you take pride in what God's doing through you, you end up getting chastised for it in most cases. You end up getting too proud. The worst thing you could do is, you know, as you hear it a lot of times with pastors, look at the church I have built. No, it's really got to stay and always must be. Look at the church God has built. And I've had a, you know, I've had the pleasure of being part of that building, but it's him that has done the work. I think of, I'm just honored to be in, he's helping. I'm, I'm honored, not privileged. I think more of honor. And that's a very important place where we need to be. We need to be in the place where we feel honored that God is even using us to do anything. Because the moment we start catching ourselves using the word I and me and my, we better start looking at ourselves and saying, uh, what is wrong with this picture? Where, where am I headed with this? Because if somebody's taking too much of themselves into the picture, they're headed for a fall in the long run. The fall of Satan was that whole pride. I will ascend above to the throne of God. I will sit on the holy mountain. The seven I wills of Satan that is in Isaiah and that he wanted to be equal to God. 
and we see that pride was his downfall. And we see that will be the problem on this world for us if we start getting proud of what we are accomplishing somehow as if it's all us, we'll end up falling. Pride goes before the fall. And if I think I'm the one building a church, I'm the one teaching a class, I'm the one you know, that's got this great skill, God will say, okay, let's see what you can do without me. And the same thing I've shared with us, we always need to keep in fact that when, when we're being blessed by God, we need to keep in terms that these are blessings. Because sometimes we get just a little bit complacent and start thinking this is the norm. You know, it, it's normal to be blessed. It's normal to have all these things. And no, it is God coming in and blessing. And the moment we start forgetting that, God will start saying, okay, let me show you what, what normal is or what normal should be. And we want to be careful of that because anytime our pride gets involved, we're going to be, or, or we get lackadaisical about God and say, you know, this is just, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. Well, okay, yes, this is true. Christians are going to be blessed, but keep, keep your focus on that it is blessed. It's not normal. It's not even, not even what God's required to do because he's not really required to do anything, anything for us like in this world. He's doing it with me. He's doing it for me. I mean, there's so many other people in this world. I just thank him so, so much. <laughs> but when we start thinking it's us doing it, that is when we're going to feel like we've been abused when we're doing something and people don't recognize it. That's when we get to this point where we've served God for a long period of time and nothing's happened and, or people start abusing us and we're going, well, I don't deserve this. I've been serving God. Well, no, you're, you've been serving God great, but you don't deserve any great blessing. You don't deserve any, any lack of attack. And we be careful because I've heard it so many times. Well, I served, I did this for God for so long and look how I got rewarded. Well, maybe you were serving for the wrong reason or in the wrong places. If you're feeling that way, then you need to look and say, did I serve God or did I serve myself? And did I do good thinking that I was serving God, but I was really just serving myself? And we want to be very careful. And I've said this, you know, when you're doing what God wants, you're going to enjoy what you're doing. That doesn't mean there's going to be times when you're saying, you know, saying, man, this is really hard and, you know, and be struggling at times. But if you're always struggling with something that you're doing, you might not be doing what God wants. You need to really look at it and say, God, should I be doing this? If all you can do is, oh, man, i got to do this again, <laughs> and that's been your attitude from the beginning of it, then you're probably not doing what he wants uh, and say, okay, let's go do something else. Let's find out what God wants me to do. But again, even when you're doing what God wants, there's going to be those times when you're just weary and tired and, and it's hard. And then you, but you need to know that that's what God wants you to do. So, you know, it's a very kind of tightrope walk. You know, if you're, if you're always concerned that you're not, you know, that it's not, you know, not, you know, that there's a burden, then you probably, probably got a problem. But if you're usually okay with it and then you go through a dry spot where, where it's troublesome, that's Satan trying to take you out of what he's doing. And you say, okay, God, I'm just, give me back, give me back that refreshing, give me back that, that joy or, or say, God, you know, maybe I've gotten a little proud and thinking it was me and I need, your, <laughs> I need your strength back again. And so we want to be able to do that because every job is going to, when you go forward for, for God, Satan is going to move against you. It's just what's going to happen. Always. He is not going to lose battles without doing something to try to make a battle out of it. And he's not going to sit there and say, oh, well, I just surrendered. You can have it. <laughs> Not, he's not going to do that. 
And the more threat we are for his kingdom, the more we can expect him to throw at us. Daniel, in prayer, ends up getting Michael coming to his aid because of how much, much attack. And if you don't know who Michael is, Michael is the archangel, took, as far as we understand, took Lucifer's spot in the, in the heavenlies. So when, if Michael is involved, you're talking about a pretty big, <laughs> big battle going on, okay? Gabriel seems to be a messenger, and Michael is the warrior. He's the one that's in trouble. Wasn't he, like, delayed three weeks or something yeah. because of yeah, his it was, battle? It was weeks. Yeah, it was weeks of time that he, and the angel said, I had to call in. I had to call in Michael for this battle. So it's, so if Daniel's having that kind of trouble, and Daniel was a big mover of history at that time and bringing the Israel, Israelites back into setting things up for that, we can expect trouble. If we're, the more we're doing for God, the more, the more Satan is going to move against us. And, and this is, well, in chloride, we probably will never see Satan's actual presence here, but, you know, unless God does some really great work, but, you know, and, but usually that's reaching millions of people, you know, where you're going to change, change things. And who knows what God has in store for chloride, but I just don't expect us to ever be so strong that that's who we're going to see. But... By the same token, we're going to see opposition. And we're going to see strong opposition as we move forward. I believe Satan is in chloride. I do. Yeah, me too, I believe. And has, he's making me tougher and stronger. I mean, God is not Satan. Yes. And, and I'm not saying we're not seeing demons. Yeah. Believe me, yeah. we're, we're, oh, we're going yeah. to see plenty of demons. But, but you've got to figure, Satan, number one, is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at one time as God is. He can only be in one thank place God, at one time. That's so good. So he will assign demons to different people, yeah. and he will assign stronger demons. You know, as, as people grow and, and make more of a threat for the kingdom, he'll assign higher-level demons, and that's when you get into the principalities and the powers and all I of that. that's the big churches and, like... like um, well, not all big churches are even going to have that because there's not, they're not, they're not well, necessarily bringing around, salvation. I mean, a really powerful ministry stuff like... You never... The, you know, it, if we saw things from the spiritual point of view, we might not realize some of those small pastors, small-town pastors have great power in God no, I'm not, see, I'm and saying changing. About, I'm saying about me or, like, there's other people that are really making a lot more difference that he would have the big demons after. Yeah, well, you might, you might be surprised with yeah. you passing out those bulletins to I different know, people yeah. that visit, and, you know, you're doing, you're doing a lot more than a lot of people that, that, that you realize. So, but this is just it. From the spiritual side of things, we may not understand how important or how lack of importance we have, and, and I don't want anybody to get a big head on this yeah. because we don't know, we don't know the impact. We don't know the impact that this church is having on people because we're on the Internet or you know, being listened to by... Yeah. By over a thousand people each month, you know, things being taught and said in this church, you know, so maybe we're more powerful than, just, than, I, than I would think. You know, I just, don't know. Yeah. Just a couple of days ago, I had this couple, this young, young, young couple. She must have been Ori. Um, I'm terrible at races and different, you know, but she's another country or whatever. But I had the daily bread, and even at the old one, she said, oh, she picked up. I said, you can have that. She said, oh, I want to read it because she was telling me about how the Jehovah Witness would come and she read. I said, this is much better. I'm just saying, but read this. And so I gave her a couple of the pamphlets, too, you know, but it was just neat, you know, that she's probably in her late 20s, you know, and I mm -hmm. thought that was cool. And I lived, I think, in New York or someplace, you know. Yeah. So that was just cool. But we never know that we never know what our, what little things that we do are going to change the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And you think about this 
long, long time ago, this, this Sunday school teacher went in and led, led, led uh, D.L. Moody to the Lord, who was then responsible for by a couple people to getting Billy Graham, you know, led to the Lord and Billy, uh, then excuse me, Billy Sunday and then Billy Graham. So there's long line of, you know, all started by this one little Sunday school teacher who couldn't even decide whether he wanted to go talk to D.L. Moody or not, and. He went in and talked to him, he led him to the Lord, and then this long list of people that go, that go down to millions of people being saved. And if he did not do his job, it's possible that these millions would not have been, you know, millions upon millions would not have been saved through three evangelists that followed down that list. And so it's going to be interesting when we get to heaven and we see what little things, and we may not even have thought anything of it. We just shared the God's love with somebody, and it touched their heart, and then they got saved, a, you know, weeks or months or years later. But it was our our little touch of love that that started their started their from, process, yeah. and then who knows who they're going to yeah. reach. So we never want to belittle anything. The, the scriptures tell us, despise not the day of of small beginnings. You know, the little things that I can do. When, when we think about how did you get saved, you know, was it a big, massive event? You know, was there all this fanfare? For most of us, probably not. I was in a junior church setting with a, a children's church setting when I went forward to accept God and Jesus as my Savior. Nobody in big church knew anything about that. I was on a, I came, I came on a bus. Uh, it was not this great big deal about me getting saved. But I was encouraged to tell somebody, so I went home and told my dad. And my dad wasn't a Christian. One thing my dad knew is that becoming a Christian was not something you just did and, and then abandoned. He knew there was a, that it was an important thing. So he's asking me as many questions as he could, not knowing anything about what it meant to be a Christian, basing all of his questions on his idea of Mormonism. <laughs> and because he grew up as a, in a Mormon home, so he knew a little bit about some of the stuff, you know, and he just knew it wasn't a decision you did and didn't, and, you know, and answered his questions. And I've shared with you that I went all amongst all my friends in the neighborhood and, you know, witnessed to them as best I could, and they go, well, how do you get saved? I go, I don't know, but come to Sunday school with me Sunday, and we'll, you know, come, on, come with me on the bus on Sunday, and we'll, we'll have somebody answer your questions. You know, filling a, filling a church bus full of people. We don't know what little things can mean. And one of my dad's testimonies was the change in my life led him to look closer to God, as well as another man you know, that he worked with. But you know, all of this stuff happens, and we don't know the impact we're gonna have on people's lives. And it goes to the song I love, it's called Thank You, and it's a you know, picture of this guy going to heaven, you know, and it's all these people coming up to him and saying, thank you for the little things you did. You taught my Sunday school, and one day I accepted Christ. You know, you, you gave to the mission fund, and because of what you gave, here I am. We don't know what, how we're touching lives. We don't know how God is using what we give. Doesn't, we don't know how he's using our prayers for people. And yet when we get to heaven, I really believe that we're going to see people going, I'm here because of the little thing you did. And they'll probably go to every single person that did that, but... You know, who knows who's all involved in my life and my <coughs> salvation that God will show me when I get there. I'm sure one of them is my great-grandmother who was praying for my dad to get saved. Okay, probably was also praying for her great-grandchildren as well, but you know, she was praying for her grandchildren. 
And her greatest pressure was when my dad got saved and went to her church and she was able to take him up front and say, this is my grandson we've been praying for for 30 years. <laughs> okay. Was I part of that prayer? Was I part of the answer to that prayer? In many ways, probably so. And indirectly, it was probably her prayers and her church's prayers that helped bring me. And who knows how many others. You know, we don't know all of what, who was involved in our own salvation, much less how we've been in, impacted others. And God is just telling us, be faithful. Be faithful. We'll finish off this here. So we serve in the temple to him that sits on the throne night and day. Verse 8. Eight. They, uh, 16. Oh. Sorry. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. That'd be great not to be hungry or thirsty. <laughs> neither shall the sunlight on them nor any heat. We won't need the sunlight. It'll be just like it was back in Genesis 1.1. There was night and day, but no sun, or sun moon, or stars. God, God will be the light. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them unto living fountains of water. This again, more pictures. These are Christians. It's not just anybody. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And I tell you, this, will be, this is the one I'm looking forward so much to, wipe away the tears from your eyes because Jesus is going to appear even in heaven as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The scriptures seem to indicate he'll be the only, only sign of human imperfection on, in heaven. And I am glad that God's going to wipe the tears from my eyes because I don't know that I could look at Jesus bearing the marks for my, that got me there without having tears. Um, Maybe there'll be tears of joy. Maybe we'll all be crying all the time in heaven with crying tears of joy. That'll be our water. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, a, this is starting our picture of heaven. No hunger, no thirst, no tears, no need for sunlight and no darkness. Light coming from all directions. No darkness, no shadow. And this is where we're going to be. Just the picture of heaven and the heavenlies. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Unless there's any questions or thoughts. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and you care for us. Lord, we thank you for the picture of heaven and just the joy and the peace and the, and the love that you'll have for us there and that we'll have for you, that we will serve you and be joyful in that service. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.